Hello. Welcome to the myths and history of Greece and Rome. Chapter 96. The Pagan. I call Jupiter and all the other gods who protect cities and our people to see my behaviour towards Constantius and my loyalty to him, and that I behave to him as I would hope a son of mine would behave to me. But Jupiter must be angry with me and tease me for my silliness, because I have been so faithful to the murderer of my father, my brothers, my cousins. He was the executioner of my whole family. So said the Emperor Julian, soon after he had buried the body of his cousin Constantius II. Bad old Constantius had wiped out all of the male members of the family of Constantius Chlorus and his sons. The only one left was Julian himself. Everyone knew he was the only one left, and Julian was letting everyone know why he was the only one left. Julian did as he said. He made sure the dead emperor had a fine Christian funeral and that he was properly mourned. He even cried. After the funeral, though, he never set foot in a Christian church again. And why not? Because all the time he'd spent in exile, reading, studying and listening to great philosophers, he was secretly rejecting the Christian religion. By now, he was a pagan through and through, and this is why he has come to be known as Julian the Apostate. When he arrived in Constantinople, there was rejoicing and cheering. Everyone rushed into the streets to greet him. One person said that it was as if he had dropped from heaven. As soon as he was properly in charge of the whole empire, the pagan began to make changes. First, he purged all of the allies of Constantius, getting rid of most of the imperial court and loads of the sneaks who kept making up stories and getting other people into trouble. Our old friend Paul the Chain was one of those who was executed, and... He richly deserved it. Julian also had respect for the Senate and even attended Senate meetings. The next thing Julian did was reopen all of the temples to the old gods that Constantine and his sons had closed down. He wanted people to worship the old gods and he wanted the people to have plenty of places where they could do just that. He didn't persecute Christians, he just made sure that the pagans could worship just as easily. Julian decided that Constantius had far too many people working for him there were assistants for everything. There were barbers, cooks, musicians, butlers, maids, people to help him get dressed, people to help him get undressed, people to help him eat, and probably people to help him go to the toilet too. Julian was a single man. His wife Helena had died a few years earlier, and he didn't need or want all of these hangers-on. He ate simple food and dressed in simple clothes. The emperor fired all of them, leaving himself with just a few trusted advisers to help him run the empire. Constantine had banned sacrifices of animals, but Julian thought that sacrificing animals was an important part of the old religion, so he unbanned it. In fact, he unbanned it so much and carried out so many sacrifices himself that he soon had the nickname Julian the Butcher. As we know, Julian was a short man. He had a wild, straggly beard, he was a bit twitchy and not very good looking. He tended to gabble and all he wanted was to be a scholar. But, and it was a big but, he had proved himself to be a fantastic general. He had won victory after victory on the Rhine frontier and was very popular because of this. He loved the tales of the life of Marcus Aurelius and wanted to be a loved and respected philosopher-emperor just like the man who had come to the throne exactly 200 years before him. After a few months in charge, Julian realised he wasn't having much luck bringing back the old gods. These Christians were just too keen on their religion, even if they kept arguing amongst themselves. The Arians versus the rest battle was still on. Julian made it known that pagans would be more likely to get the good jobs. 
Then he let it be known that Christians wouldn't be allowed to teach people about Homer and the ancient writers. Then he let it be known that it was fine to be violent towards Christians. Even killing them wouldn't be too much of a problem. Much later, many stories were told of Julian damaging Christian relics. These tales are likely to be exaggerations made after the event to tarnish the reputation of the last non-Christian emperor. It has to be recognised, though, that he did go a bit too far after a while. He had the body of a Christian who had been buried in the Temple of Apollo at Antioch dug up and removed. The people of the city rioted, and he had lots of them arrested and tortured. Soon afterwards, the temple burned down. Julian blamed the Christians and had their cathedral shut down and stole the gold which he then gave to his soldiers. While he was in Antioch, he wrote a book which was very anti-Christian. When the people of Antioch carried on attacking him, he wrote another one called Beard Hater, which teased them for having a go at him. The good people of Antioch were clearly not his greatest fans. Unsurprisingly, his popularity started to fall away just a little. And then came the invasion of Persia. The exact goals Julian had for his disastrous Persian invasion are not very clear at all. Perhaps he was trying to restore his popularity. He was a brave man and a good leader of men, and maybe he thought he would be loved by all of his people if he finally defeated the old enemy. Nobody really knows, but we do know what happened. The Sassanid Persians, and before them the Parthians, had been a traditional enemy from the time of the late Republic, and the previous emperor had been at war with them before Julian was hailed as Augustus, which had forced Constantius to agree an uneasy peace. Julian, however, had no real reason to break the peace in the east. A war against the Persians wasn't necessary, but it could bring popularity, power and gold stars to Julian and the army, and perhaps this is why he did it. Because we have the history written by Ammianus, we know a lot about how the Persian war went, and it didn't go well. On the 5th of March 363, despite a series of bad omens against the campaign, Julian excitedly left Antioch with about 80,000 to 90,000 men and headed north towards the Euphrates. En route he was met by embassies from various small tribes offering to help him in his campaign, but Julian didn't accept the assistance. Silly man. He did order the Armenian king Arsaces to gather some troops and await instructions. Arsaces did as he was told. Julian and his army crossed the Euphrates near Hierapolis and moved towards Carre, trying to kid the Persians that his chosen route into their lands was down the Tigris. He sent his general, a distant relative of his called Procopius, and an army of 30,000 soldiers eastward to devastate Medea with the help of some Armenian forces. This is where two earlier Roman campaigns had concentrated and where the main Persian forces were soon sent. But clever old Julian's plan was to attack somewhere else. He had a fleet built made up of over a thousand ships in order to supply his army for a march down the Euphrates and 50 pontoon ships to help with the river crossings. At the same time, Procopius and the Armenians would march down the Tigris to meet him near Tisiphon. At the end of April 363, the Romans captured the fortress of Pirisabora, which guarded the way to Tisiphon. As the army marched towards the Persian capital, the Sassanid engineers broke the dikes which crossed the land turning it into swampy marsh. The Roman army's progress was slow. The Romans don't do too well in messy, gloopy swamps. Remember the Battle of Abritus. One day in mid-May, though, the army had reached the ancient Parthian and Sassanid capital, where Julian partially unloaded some of the fleet and had his troops ferried across the Tigris during the night. The Romans quickly defeated the Persians at the Battle of Tisiphon, driving the Persian troops back into the city. 
As usual, Julian had won the battle. Unfortunately, he hadn't really decided what his aim was. He had forgotten one of the basic rules of war. Always know what it is you want to achieve. He knew he couldn't take the city. The walls were too good. He had to do something else. First, he decided to burn the boats and march further into Persia. Then he changed his mind and decided to go back to Roman territory. He really couldn't make up his mind at all. As the army retreated, the Persians began to catch them. The rivers had flooded, the heat was deadly and the air was thick with flies. Ammianus says there were so many flies they blotted out the sun. Marching for the Romans was hard work, but the Persians were quick, or at least they were quicker than the Romans. First came one quick attack, which the Romans defended and beat the Persians back. Then came another, which the Romans fought hard and won again. And then, slowly and menacingly, came the whole of the mighty Persian army. The Persians attacked the Roman rear. Brave as ever, Julian stormed into the deafening battle without even putting his armour on. He charged, running faster than his bodyguards, straight into the middle of the fighting. In the crazy chaos of soldiers and weapons, under the heat of the desert sun, Julian was stabbed in the side with a spear. He was dragged from the scene and taken back to his tent, where he tried to pull the spear out, but all he managed to do was cut his hand. Julian the Apostate spent his last hours discussing philosophy, talking about deep and meaningful things, but not talking to anyone about anything useful, like who might be the next emperor. After a couple of days, Julian's second philosopher-emperor died in his tent, aged just 31. He'd reigned for just over three years. He was a brave man, a clever, well-read man, and a good soldier, but he'd wanted to change things back to how they had been hundreds of years before, and he had found that not everyone wanted the same thing. The subsequent veneration of Julian the Apostate is a stark example of how reputation and achievement do not always stack up against each other. In fact, sometimes the gap between them is a chasm. We must take a step back and remember poor old Domitian. He had quite a successful reign and strengthened his empire diligently. He was remembered as a monster. Julian's reign was not a successful one, and he left the empire in peril, but he is remembered as a hero. History is a funny old game sometimes. In many respects, though, Julian was a remarkable man. He was a prolific author. Before and during his brief reign as emperor, he churned out writings with impressive regularity. He wrote a commentary on his German campaign. He wrote a huge number of essays on pagan culture, and he wrote them in Greek, not his native Latin. After his accession, he composed hymns and prose in praise of the pagan gods. Julian composed a long satire called The Caesars, in which he basically reviews the efforts of each of his predecessors as emperor in a highly sarcastic manner. Unsurprisingly, his fellow pagan author and philosopher Marcus Aurelius comes out on top. Constantine, of course, is derided for his Christian views and the excessive amount of sin for which he required absolution. Excerpts from his famous anti-Christian work, Against the Galileans, still survive to this day. On the flip side, Julian was a hard-working and enthusiastic administrator who genuinely wanted to improve things for his people. He has to be praised for trying to slim down the excessive bureaucracy which Diocletian's system had caused to grow. He also seemed to have some grasp of the concept of monetary inflation and how damaging it could be, and took, admittedly unsuccessful, steps to curb it. Legend has it that Julian's last words were, You have won, Galilean. He meant that Jesus and the Christians had beaten him. To be fair to him, he was probably right. 
the pagan religion would slowly die over the coming years and Christianity was here to stay. The army knew they had to choose a new emperor quickly or they were all in trouble. Without a leader they would not be able to defend themselves and the Sasanids could attack and defeat the Roman forces. The Praetorian prefect Seleucius said he didn't want to be emperor as he was too old so the soldiers surprisingly voted for a junior officer. Some people, including our old friend Damianus, think he may have been voted in by mistake. Jovian, which was his name, was also a lot taller than Julian and the purple robes were not long enough. Flavius Jovianus was born in Singidunum, which is now Belgrade in Serbia, in 331. He was an army officer and also a Christian. Jovian quickly made peace with Sharpor. It was not a good peace because the Romans gave back some territory and lost control of Armenia. It was a bad peace. It was a humiliating peace. But it was peace, and what the Romans needed most of all was peace. Ammianus was not happy at all with the truce. We should have fought ten battles, he writes, rather than give up a single one of those fortresses. Jovian had Julian buried at Tarsus, across the road from the tomb of Maximine Dyer, although his sarcophagus is now outside the archaeological museum in Istanbul, and made the journey to Constantinople. The new emperor just about had time to cancel all of Julian's anti-Christian laws before he was found dead in his room. It seems that he died of natural causes, maybe as a result of accidental suffocation from charcoal fumes, or maybe from overeating. Either way, dead he was, aged 32, having reigned for about eight months. The army made a better job of selecting a new emperor this time. They thought carefully and eventually raised a certain Flavius Valentinianus to the purple. They also realised that not knowing who was going to succeed was dangerous, so they demanded the new Augustus immediately name a Caesar to help him rule now and to be the next Augustus if Valentinian died unexpectedly. They didn't know who they wanted to be Caesar, they wanted the emperor to be free to choose his Caesar, but there was definitely someone they didn't want as Caesar. The Magister Militum said to him, If you love your family, great emperor, choose your brother. If you love the empire, choose somebody else. The message was very clear. But Valentinian chose his brother. And he didn't make him Caesar. No, Flavius Julius Valens was immediately made joint Augustus. Next time, we shall see how these brother joint Augusti get on. In one case, the answer is very badly indeed. If you like the podcast, then please go to www.mythandhistory.podbean.com. If you'd like to leave feedback, then please contact me by email, mythandhistory at gmail.com, or friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time. <laughs>